That was awesome. We do that again. That was. Whew, how do you follow that? That's just. Amen. Let's go. <laughs> I have something to share with you today. Not long ago, a grandmother rolls and wins 154 times. Stay with me. What I'm about to tell you is a true story. The odds of this actually happening are 1 in 1.56 trillion. I'll let you math majors figure those odds. A grandmother named Patricia DeMauro walked to a craps table at Atlantic City's Borgata Hotel, Casino, and Spa with $100. She'd only played craps one other time, but tired of the slot machines, I guess they're boring, she had previously played, she picked up the orange dice and started off with a lucky roll. For four hours and 18 minutes later, she not only won all 154 rolls, but had also broken a world record for the longest craps roll and the most successive dice rolls without sevening out. Apparently in craps, sevening out is a bad thing. I'm not sure. She never stated how much she won. Experts suggest that it was perhaps in the millions. Talk about beginner's luck. That story almost pales in comparison of this next true story about Terry Watanabe. He is the son of the founder of the Oriental Trading Company. We all know of the Oriental Trading Company. His story started in 2007. Mr. Watanabe took a trip to Las Vegas and he never left. Enjoying the various comps and perks of being a high roller, the casinos slowly drained this man's fortune for an entire year. It, it was a gambling binge that ended up costing him over $200 million. Talk about should have quit while you're ahead. During that year, this is impressive, 6% of Harris, that's a casino, Harris' total Las Vegas gambling revenue came from this one man, Mr. Watanabe, 6%. He gambled so much that Harris invented a new tier in what they called their total rewards program. Just for him, he was called the chairman of the total rewards program. It came with various perks, $12,000 a month for airfare, free uh, free concert tickets in different venues along the Las Vegas Strip, $500,000 in credit at the gift stores. That's a little nice little bonus for losing $200 million. Not really. There's a saying in gambling, life is all wrapped up in the roll of the dice. When you're tossing the dice, you can roll lucky sevens or snake eyes, that's two ones, or, or you can roll boxcars, that's double sixes, also called midnight. Uh, no, I never played dice. I had to look that stuff up. <laughs> it's like they don't believe me. Wow. <laughs> you know, when you're gambling, you can lose it all. You can, you can win a massive, uh, a massive uh, windfall like Grandma that I shared with you, or, or you can experience colossal disaster like Mr. Wantanabe. It all seems like coincidence, just, just a roll of the dice. Today we're going to look at the book of Esther, the queen of beauty and courage. And, and the unique thing about it is it seems like the destiny of the Jews is just subject to the roll of the dice when you really get into this story. But we discover that God is working behind the scenes to fulfill his grand and saving purpose. Will you pray with me? Father God, I thank you for, for this morning. I thank you for your word. I thank you for people like Esther and, and Mordecai who 
we have such a great lesson that we can learn from them today about courage, about trusting you, about knowing you're there, even when the odds may seem stacked against us. Lord, I pray as we look at your word that we don't see it just as a, a quaint story, but we see it for what you intended it to be seen. With our hearts open, with our minds and our lives ready to, to change, to be a better reflection of you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. You know, the book of Esther represents one of the most intriguing episodes in the story series. For our visitors and guests, we're doing a year-long series. It's called The Story. And, and I want to remind everybody, it's, it's called The Story, but it's no fairy tale. It's nothing that's made up. This is God's Word. And it's true, and it's for our benefit as we study and read it and understand it and learn it. And in this particular story, we're in the book of Esther. And there's a very dangerous character. His name is Haman. And, and Haman rolls the dice. Literally, he rolls the dice on the continued existence of the Jewish people. And what he rolled determined when the Jewish people would be um, executed. Allow me to set this up for you. I'm going to be jumping around, just to let you know. I will be jumping around in, in order and sequence of the chapters in the book of Esther. But it's, it's kind of like doing that prequel thing at a movie, and then by the time you get to the end, you're at the beginning of the movie. But the whole movie and the whole story has been told. And so stay with me. It, it works out well. Um, here's how it all comes together. During the exile, and we've been talking about that the last few weeks, many Jews are now living in the capital city of Susa in Persia. And in 120, and excuse me, and there's 127 other provinces around Persia. Also living in Susa is a descendant of the Amalekites. His name is Haman, and he hates the Jews, but particularly he hates a Jew named Mordecai. The reason that Haman hates the Jews is because King Saul, long ago, was told to destroy the Amalekites, but he disobeyed God, and he didn't destroy all of them. Right there's a little side note lesson for when we think what we do doesn't uh, doesn't uh, interact with other people. King Saul's been dead for many years, and yet his sin is reflecting back on the Jewish people right now because he didn't follow God's order. Something to think about. That's a different sermon. So, so here's Haman. Uh, Saul did not destroy the Amalekites like he was supposed to, and you know what? As the, as the Israelites went into the Promised Land, do you know who the first um, tribe is that, they, that was obstructing Israel from entering the Promised Land? The Amalekites. See? Saul didn't do his job 100%. And ever since then, the Amalekites have been enemies with the Jews for a long, long time. And being a good Amalekite, Haman carried a grudge against the Jews. And to make matters worse, Haman held a high position in Persia. He was basically second under King Xerxes. But before I can tell you about Haman, I need to tell you about Xerxes and about Esther. And we're going to start in chapter 1 of Esther. Xerxes was the king. And according to chapter 1... He enjoyed a little party every now and then. Read this with me. This is what happened during the time of Xerxes. The Xerxes who ruled over 127 provinces stretching from India to Cush. At that time, the king Xerxes reigned from his royal throne in the citadel of Susa. And in the third year of his reign, he gave a banquet for all his nobles and officials, the military leaders of Persia and Media, the princes and the nobles and the, and the provinces were present. Everybody is there. For a full 180 days, he displayed the vast wealth of his kingdom and the splendor and glory of his majesty. A school year is like 187 days, just to kind of put that in perspective for you. He, he had a 180-day party, basically, sharing all of his, of his wealth. When these days were over, the king gave a banquet, lasting seven days, in the enclosed garden of the king's palace. Now it's becoming intimate. 
He's, he's shrinking it down to his closest, I don't know, 1,000, 2,000 friends. All right, so he has this banquet in his, in his garden. And, and um, hold on, all right, there we go. In the enclosed garden of the king's palace for all the people, uh, from the least to the greatest who were in the citadel of Susa, it was at this banquet where he requested that his wife queen and queen, her name was Vashti, come out in front of all the men wearing nothing but her crown. He wanted to show off her beauty, he said. Now you see back then, men and women partied and held banquets separately. The women were only allowed to come in if they were sent for. And the king sent for Vashti, requesting that she only wear her crown. And she refused to go before the king and his friends. And because of less than average counsel that the king took from some of his princes, the king divorces her and shames her, and she is no longer queen. Well, like most men, when a situation like that happens, he gets lonely. So he's, it's set up for him to find another queen. And the decree is sent out to all the young women that come to, to come to the palace to see who will be the next queen. This process takes over a year. So it seems like it happens quick, but it's takes a long time. As these young women come in, they spend 11 or 12 months being prepared before they can even go before the king. And eventually, Esther is chosen as the next queen. Now, I'm excited for you guys to read about this in detail this week. I hope you take the opportunity to read about Esther this week. Esther's become queen. Her uncle Mordecai is one of the Jewish leaders at this time. He's a big Jewish leader. He sits at the city gate. That's a big deal. And he's, he's a proud Jewish man. He, he worships the Lord. He will only bow down to the Lord. And when he refuses to bow down to Haman, this only fuels Haman's hatred for, for the Jews. And so Haman convinces King Xerxes to decree the extermination of the Jews in all 127 provinces. And, and even in the decree it says that whoever kills the Jews can keep their possessions. So as long as you're not Jewish, you'll be able to go out, kill one of the Jewish people, and take all the stuff in their house that's now yours. That's the decree that he gets the king to set out. It's impressive to have that much power. But here's his downfall. In order to select a date for his, this extermination, he cast lots. The Hebrew word here is, is pure or, or purim. And, and what it is, he literally rolled the dice to determine the day that this would happen to the Jews. And the dice come up Adar 13, March 13th. Now, the plot thickens. It's up to the courageous characters named Esther and Mordecai to save the Jews, but will they be able to do it? That's what we want to know. While Haman is convincing the king to annihilate the Jews, Mordecai saves the king's life. How awesome is that? <laughs> you can't make this stuff up. Haman is, is, is planning to kill all the Jews, and one of them saves the king's life. He spoils an assassination attempt, and this heroic deed is written down in the records of the king's history, but nothing was ever done for Mordecai. And one evening, after the king had agreed to Haman's plan to destroy the Jews, but it's also before he went to a dinner that was planned by Esther, Xerxes can't sleep. And so he has these chronicles read for him, these records read for him. And, and here's what he hears in Esther chapter 6, verses 1 through 11. This is what's read. That night the king could not sleep, so he ordered the book of Chronicles, the record of his reign, to be brought in and read to him. It was found recorded there that Mordecai had exposed Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway, who had conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. What honor and recognition has Mordecai received for this? The king asked. Nothing has been done for him, his attendants answered. Um, <clears throat> and uh, so Mordecai, excuse me, uh, he, the king said, Who is in the court now? And Haman had just entered the court out of the palace to speak to the king about impaling Mordecai. Are you following this? The king's reading about Mordecai. He said, what's been done for him? Well, nothing. 
And at that time, Haman comes in to ask the king, can he impale Mordecai on a stick in his front yard? That's where we're at here. His attendants answered, Haman is standing in the court. Bring him in. And the king ordered. When Haman entered, the king asked him, what should be done for the man the king delights to honor? Now, Haman, who apparently was very humble, thought to himself, who is there that the king would rather honor than me? (laughs) He answered the king, for the man the king delights to honor, have them bring a royal robe the king has worn, and a horse the king has ridden, one with a royal crest placed on its head. Then let the robe and the horse be entrusted to the one of the king's most noble princes. Let them robe the man the king delights to honor, and lead him on a horse through the city. He thinks he's planning his own parade. I love this. Through the city streets proclaiming before him, this is what is done for the man the king delights to honor. Verse 10, go at once, the king commanded Haman. Get the robe and the horse and do just as you have suggested for Mordecai the Jew who sits at the king's gate. Do not neglect anything you have recommended. Talk about being a fly on a wall. Would you not have loved to see that? It's, well, why are you here? Never mind. I want you to do this. For Mordecai? So, Haman got the robe and the horse. He robed Mordecai and he led him on horseback through the city streets, proclaiming before him, this is what is done for the man the king delights to honor. I love this. Talk about an upper and a lower story happening at the same time. Haman is trying his best to kill off the Jews, but because he entrusted his plan to a roll of the dice, he still has time to honor the one Jew he hates more than anyone. Had he just gone in and said, hey, King Xerxes, let's do this. Well, how soon should we do it? As soon as possible. There might not be any Jews. But no, he gambled it. He rolled the dice. Oh, it's awesome. Xerxes tells Haman he wants him to honor a man. And Haman thinks the king has him in mind, not Mordecai. And Haman has to honor Mordecai by leading him through the streets of the city as a hero. And then Mordecai, Esther's cousin, He convinces Esther to appeal to Xerxes to stop this genocide of the Jewish people. Now, we also have to understand this appeal could lead to the king ending Esther's life because nobody went before the king uninvited or unannounced. But look what is said between Esther and Mordecai. We're going to look at Esther chapter 4, verses 11 through 17. All the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman, this is Esther talking... Uh, through a servant to Mordecai. All the king's officials know that, and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that they be put to death unless the king extends the gold scepter to them and spares their lives. But 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. Typically that means you're not in line to go anytime soon. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Listen closely. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Verse 15, Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, Go, gather together all the Jews who are in Susa, and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. 
So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. Wow. I hope that one day I will have faith like Mordecai and Esther. He, he said to Esther, even if you do nothing, release and deliverance will come from somewhere. God, God will take care of this, even if you do nothing. Uh, let me make a quick stop here. Brothers and sisters, even if you choose not to be a reflection of Christ, Scripture tells us that the rocks will cry out the glory of God. I don't know about you, but like the song says, I ain't going to let no rock take my place. I'm going to be like Esther. And even when no one else will stand up for what is right or no one else will, I will. Esther realized that she may not be the most popular person in Susa after she approaches the king. She saw what happened to Vashti for, for rebelling against the king, if you will. She knew what was going on. But she was prepared to honor God no matter what the cost. If I perish, I perish. Her very life. But this is what happened. Let's look at chapter 7, verse 1. So the king and Haman, Esther went, went before the king, and, and she asked, invited him to a banquet. The king and Haman went to Queen Esther's banquet. And as they were drinking wine on the second day, the king again asked Queen Esther, What is your petition? It will be given you. What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom it will be granted. Then Queen Esther answered, If I have found favor in you, in you, your majesty, and if it pleases you, grant me my life. This is my petition. His wife just said, Grant me my life. He's already given her the, 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 the free pass to talk with him. He's at her banquet. And, and she says, Grant me my life. I think she has his undivided attention at this point. And spare my people. This is my request. For I and my people have been sold to be destroyed, killed, and annihilated. It's awesome to me that he doesn't quite realize until this point that she was Jewish. But listen to what she says next. She says, If we had merely been sold as male and female slaves, I would have kept quiet, because no such distress would justify disturbing the king. King Xerxes asked the queen, Who is he? Where is the man who has dared to do such a thing? Esther said, an adversary and enemy, this vile Haman. Then Haman was terrified before the king and queen. The king got up in a rage, left his wine, and went out into the palace garden. But Haman, realizing that the king had already decided his fate, stayed behind to beg Queen Esther for his life. And just as the king returned from the palace the, uh, garden to the banquet hall, Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was reclining, and the king, ex king exclaimed, Will he even molest the queen while she is with me in the house? As soon as the word left the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. When the king has your face covered, that means what you have to say no longer matters. It kind of puts the exclamation point on this whole thing. Then Harbona, one of the eunuchs attending the king, said, A pole reaching to a height of 50 cubits stands by Haman's house. He had it set up for Mordecai, who spoke up to help the king. And the king said, Impale him on it. Ooh. <laughs> So they impaled Haman on the pole he had set up for Mordecai. Then the king's fury subsided. At a private dinner arranged by Esther, Haman is exposed as the one who seeks to have all the Jews killed on Adar 13. And then he's executed because of this plot. But that was the second dinner. Okay? So now I want to I go back. I want you to see what happened at the first dinner because this all comes into a neat little... Focal point here. Esther chapter 5 verses 9 through 14 says this. Haman went out that day happy and in high spirits. 
But when he saw Mordecai at the king's gate and observed that he neither rose nor showed fear in his presence, he was filled with rage against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home, calling together his friends and Zeresh, his wife. Haman boasted to them about his vast wealth, his many sons, and all the ways the king had honored him, and how he had elevated him above all the other nobles and officials. Verse 12, and that's not all, Haman added. I'm the only person Queen Esther invited to accompany the king to the banquet she gave. (laughs) See, now that we know how it ends, when you read this, you go, oh, she's so coy. And she has invited me along with the king tomorrow. But that wasn't good enough for him. Verse 13, but all of this gives me no satisfaction as long as I see that Jew Mordecai sitting at the king's gate His wife, Zeresh, and all his friends said to him, Have a pole set up reaching to a height of 50 cubits and ask the king in the morning to have Mordecai impaled on it. Well, we know how that went because as he went to ask about that, the king said, No, you're going to put Mordecai on the horse and put the robe on him and you're going to parade him through town. And he never even got to ask his question. And so now he's got this pole in his front yard and it's just there, which as we know ends up being for him. And then, but they, they, they included him. Then go to the king of the banquet, enjoy yourself. This suggestion delighted Haman, and he had the pole set up. Now, if we've learned anything in this story series, I think that we've learned that when we see things and they appear to unravel here in the lower story, God is still working at alive and well in the upper story. It seemed like to the Jews at this time frame, things were starting to unravel. This decree went out to 127 provinces, and they're all reading it. On the 13th day, people are going to kill me. And this decree says, I can't even fight back for myself. And it says that that they're just going to kill me and my family. They're going to take my stuff. And I can't even raise up arms. But God had a better plan. And I like, like I shared with you already, Haman is executed on the very gallows that he built to kill Mordecai. Now, Xerxes cannot revoke his decree. But he does decree that the Jews can defend themselves on March 13th. The Jews prevail, and they declare Adar 13th, or March 10th, as the Feast of Purim, the festival of the dice. They celebrate that to remember that that deliverance. Esther 10, verses 1 through 3 says, King Esther imposed, excuse me, King Xerxes, um, (laughs) Esther took over the whole kingdom. Sorry, I'm not rewriting that. It's just a slip. King Xerxes imposed tribute throughout the empire to its distant shores. And all his acts of power and might, together with a full account of the greatness of Mordecai, whom the king had promoted, are they not written in the book of the annals of the kings of Media and Persia? Mordecai the Jew was second in rank to King Xerxes, preeminent among the Jews, and held in high esteem by his many fellow Jews, because he trusted God, and he worked for the good of his people, and he spoke up for the welfare of all the Jews." Mordecai is honored by taking Haman's place as an official in the empire. And the beautiful, courageous Esther continues as queen. Proverbs 16.33 tells us that God controls the roll of the dice. You can look that up. God's name is not mentioned in the book of Esther, but his behind-the-scene presence guides everything that seems to happen. Colossians 2, 16-17 tells us Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament feasts, including Purim. We don't need to be afraid of anything. Name your fears. Go ahead. Name one. Spiders. Illness. Aging. Not enough money. 
loss of job, loss of home, family, maybe a family breakdown, being alone, wayward children, depression, death, whatever it is, your whole family is not being persecuted like Esther and Mordecai's was. They're being persecuted with death. We don't have that. We don't need to fear. The best part of whatever it is that you're going through right now, no matter how bad you think it is, the best part of it is you're not alone. Just like Esther was not alone. Just like Mordecai was not alone. You're not alone. And you don't have to leave it up to the toss of the dice or the scratch of a lottery ticket to pull you out of wherever it is you are. Our God is bigger than that. Take a courageous stand like Esther and Mordecai, knowing life may look sometimes like just a roll of the dice and things are stacked against you, but God is behind the scenes working all things out for His good. Romans 8.28 tells us that. I don't know what you fear, but I know this. Satan knows what you fear. And he will take your fear and he will use it against you. The good news is Jesus knows what your fears are too. And if you let him, if you'll leave them with him, if you'll trust in him, he'll give you the strength and the peace that you need to deal with your fears in life. We all have the ability to be courageous like Esther. And as we come to our response time this morning, I want you to consider to just leave your burden of fear with Christ. Whatever may be holding you back from doing what God is calling you to do, just consider leaving it. Maybe for you, in order to do that, you need to be baptized or, or talk with someone about being baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you just, you're in a rut. You're scared about what's going to happen the next day and you need prayer or a fresh start with accountability. The elders are here. They'd love to pray with you. They'd love to encourage you in that way. Whatever your response is today to God's word, be bold like Esther. Who knows? Maybe you're here today for such a time as this, to make that decision, to make that stance. Will you stand and sing with us and respond to God's word as we sing? It's been great to be here and worship with you all today. I got to tell you, the story of Esther is one of my favorites. I really hope you'll read through it this week because it encourages me to be a better me. I know the, the, the time setting and the things they were going through are far worse than anything we'll ever experience. But reading through Esther, just like I said, it encourages me to be a better me. It, it encourages me to be a better reflection of Christ regardless of what everyone else around me chooses to do. I hope you'll take the time this week to read it and see how you can be encouraged. And now it's time to go. As you go this week, Go with courage. Know that your life is not left to the toss of the dice like the quotes that I read earlier. Because our God goes before us. His son died for us and we need to share that and live it out loud everywhere we go. Amen. As you spend time reading God's word this week, don't just read it. Put it in your heart. Make it part of your life and go live it. Sing this last song with us.